Hello and welcome to Father Figures, a show about fatherhood, uncommon fathers, fathers of all stripes. Here we explore the risks and rewards, the joys and the griefs of being a dad. I'm your host, Stephen Amaya, and on today's show we have a gentleman who has done some serious fathering, as you'll hear. He's 86 years of age, and I wish we had the time to hear all of his stories, but we'll get in what we can. So let's get right to it, shall we? My name is Peter Thomas Ferrero III. My son, Pete, is the fourth, and his son, Pete, is the fifth, and his sons stopped it. Uh-uh. <laughs> I can, uh, yeah. yeah, that would be a lot of pressure. To... I guess so. <laughs> but uh, So when and where were you born? I was born in Chicago, Illinois, in uh, the Pullman area where Pullman set, built his cars. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, I was born at, at home, and my mom had a nurse come to take care of her while she was giving birth. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was a very hard worker. He was a steel worker, worked for Forge Steel on the south side of Chicago at the time. And they were paid by the piece. Each piece they made that qualified, they got X amount of money. So mm-hmm. he was paid by the piece then. And I remember seeing some of his check stubs in the early 40s when he was still working there. I saw these check stubs many years later, but like he was making $350, $400 a week That's a lot. back then. It was all by the piece. Dad, uh, I think dad was pretty much at a distance hmm. more. Mom was the caretaker. He was the guy that made the money and mm-hmm. provided for the house and everything else. So how was your childhood? Uh, my brother Jack and I, he's my older brother by two years, we liked to go fishing. And my father would never take us. He'd always go up to Wisconsin or someplace and he'd well, I'll take you next year. Well, it never, never, never happened. Never yeah, we, my brother and I were hurt by that. We thought, you know, he'd promise us or say he would, and it never, never happened. <laughs> and so, uh, never got to go fishing with our father. Yeah. Mm. So, Dad was, I think, uh, I, I know he loved us, but I, he was at a distance at that time. And uh, then. I was the first person on both sides of my family, on the Ferrero side and the Panazzo side, which was my mom's, and uh, to go to college. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Up until that time, they were uh, factory workers, the, the men were. Mm-hmm. And uh, I felt I wanted to, I, I wanted to, to change our family on both sides, Mm -hmm. because mom had part of an eighth grade education. My dad went, he said, two years in high school and dropped out, and that's what a lot of people were doing back then. But I had heard that, I read somewhere in one of my books when I was taking a class in sociology, was for a semester in high school, and it said one of the most difficult things for people to do is to change their class going up, mm. as it were. And so I had that as my burning desire. And uh, so, 
end up going through high school and then college. I worked my way through Earlham College in Richmond, Indiana, a little school. Now, was your was your father encouraging? I never got any. Uh, my, my sister Marge said we were raised with benign neglect, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and that's true. Got my first job then teaching sciences in a very very large high school at the time in Northern Illinois, Zion Benton Township High School, right on Lake Michigan, almost into Wisconsin. Mm. And at that time, it was really hard to get a job, even though there was a a lot of jobs available. So is this how you met your wife? I met Bobby. She was a beginning math teacher. She didn't have any education training at all. And so there she is in this big school, and I introduced myself to her and asked how she, things were going. I taught there one year before she got there. And she says, not very good. She says, kids are running all over me, blah, 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 you know. And so I said, well, I talked to her a little bit more, and so I made some suggestions for her, one of which was she always, most women at that time didn't wear real high spike heels, but they had spikes, mm-hmm. oh, about yay high. Mm-hmm. I said, why don't you take one of those, take the worst kid that's giving you the biggest problem, and when he's sitting down there and giving you a hard time, take your spike and put it in the middle of his toes and then press down onto it so he can really feel it and turn it a little bit. And then say, shape up, buddy, or something to that effect. So she tried that. She said, boy, that really worked. <laughs> The kid really settled down. <laughs> Everybody settled down after that. So that's how she ended up. <laughs> well, he was nailed to the floor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how she was able to get the discipline for her kids, and then it made it much easier for her. <laughs> it's probably not policy nowadays. <laughs> not for a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So we uh, started dating, and, and then... Uh, so when did you first start thinking about having a family? We were we wanted a planned family mm-hmm. at the time. And so we wanted to be married for at least two years, mm-hmm. which we did. And then we thought, well, let's, what do you think about starting our family? And so we decided we'd start our family. And uh, so Bobby got pregnant and we had our first son, Peter. For some reasons, I think that... Uh, in my childhood, my mom was the one who raised us. Right. She was always with us. And dad was working, or he'd go out to a bar with some friends or whatever and come home and go to bed and, and get up the next morning and go to work again. That was basically what he did. Mm-hmm. That was your model. Yeah, and so uh, I knew even as a teen, still in high school and such, and I thought, I, I, if I ever have a family, I'm going to be a real dad to my kids, and not just be a, this distant dad like my, my father was. We, were you in the room for the birth? No, they were just starting to do that, yeah. and uh, no, never saw any of my kids actually born. So how many kids did you have? We have three Three, uh, two boys and one girl, mm-hmm. Peter, Paula, and Matthew. So did everything go wonderfully and beautifully with their upbringing? <laughs> well, I think so. 
I think I was harder on my son Pete, though, mm-hmm. at times. Uh, he, he was a, a playful little boy, and I remember one time, the only only time I think it happened, uh, we were living at our home place outside of Olney at the time. Here we're in Oregon now. I had uh, been doing some logging, and he was helping me log. And uh, I remember asking him one time, I said, Pete, I want you to do whatever it was at this one log pile I had set up. And he was just playing around. I said, Peter, I want you to pull. Well, I always, I've regretted this all my life. So I went over to him and I said, I ask you to do this, Peter. And you just playing around and I took his arm and I lifted him up and I kind of swung him a little bit and I put him down again that's the only time I ever got close to paddling or manhandling Mm. any of my kids and uh, I really regretted that still think about it today I I lost my cool yeah and I didn't like that at all Uh. (laughs) Well, I had when I lived in Portland, I had a client, Marvin Tolva is his name, and he was a lifetime Columbia River gillnetter, ocean troller, saner, yeah. everything. When he was 10 years old, he was operating a gillnet here on the Columbia River, 10-year-old. Wow. So I was working with the Prudential Insurance Company at the time, and uh, I asked him if I could go out with him sometime. Yeah, come on. He was fishing upriver at that time, a uh, couple miles below Bonneville Dam. So I went out with him that time. It was a winter season. It was cold. And uh, he said, you want some hot coffee? And I said, yeah. He said, okay. So he gets his coffee pot. He just dips it in the Columbia River. <laughs> There's the hot water. There's the cold water. Puts it on the stove, and then he... Uh, when he got that water boiling, then he just put some coffee grounds in there and then let them settle down. And we had hot coffee from the Columbia River. <laughs> <laughs> he was an uh, old-time guy in a way, in many ways. And so uh, that's how I kind of got into just knowing about gill netting. Mm-hmm. And I was getting burned out with the Prudential Insurance Company, and we got new management. And that guy was a real bunghole. He really was. He was terrible. And so I thought, hmm, I can take a loan out. So I took a $6,000 loan out from the U.S. Bank, bought this uh, Columbia River bow picker boat, and had access to a net that I could use from that my buddy Marvin had. And I rented it from him. And uh, Arnie Jones, that half-Indian man, is going to teach me how to gill net the lower Columbia River. Mm-hmm. And so got all that together and uh, took my prudential book, they called it, that belonged to the company, put it on my desk, wrote a note. I quit. That was about it. I quit. And anything I needed, 
And I said, if I, and I balanced my book. And I said, if you need any extra money, just let me know. And away I went and started fishing the Columbia River. Wow. Yeah. How long did you do that? I did that for about a little over 10 years. Wow. And then the fishing just got swallowed up by the politics of things. So they quit fishing uh, gillnet on the Columbia. So then I, I'm living here in Astoria at this point. And uh, so I thought, what am I going to do? So then I ended up getting a job at uh, not Astoria High School's district, but at what was called Lewis and Clark Number 4, fourth district in the state. And it was just outside of Astoria. Good community. People really very, very supportive of their kids and so forth. And so I got a job there. And then uh, I could combine my gill netting with teaching, and that made a good living. And then we were married for two years, and we decided we'd start our family. All planned. Yeah. <laughs> Except for Matthew. Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> he was our third. We only wanted two children. Uh-huh. At least that's all I wanted. Uh-huh. But I didn't know that Bobby wanted a third child. <laughs> and the birth control pill didn't work for oh, some reason. Uh, so we that was a very difficult time in our marriage for a couple of months because I thought we should abort that child. Mm-hmm. And uh, she didn't want to. And, and it, that really put a lot of pressure on our marriage big time. Yeah. Finally, I just said, okay, we'll have this. And then I'm going to have a vasectomy vasectomy and so that's what we ended up doing okay and so we only had three children which was plenty so anyway that worked out good now you're you divorced we were we dated each other for two years and then we were married for 32 years and i just like i told her we were in our hot tub and in our house out in only and uh I, i said bobby i I don't want to be married anymore. I didn't have any relationships going on anywhere. I just, I told her I was just tired. Hmm. I didn't want the responsibilities, all the other stuff. And uh, Did this make her angry? No, it it hurt her. Yeah. And uh, I didn't find out until about six months ago we were talking about our divorce. And she says, you know, I suffered for 15 years after we got divorced. Hmm. And she she gave, you know, she didn't fight it. She's just okay. But, uh, Hmm. and uh, I didn't date anybody for maybe a year or so after I got divorced. I just. You were still tired. Yeah, still tired. (laughs) Yeah, still tired. (laughs) So, uh, anyway, when we got divorced, she never fought it or anything like that. But I didn't know until just like I said six months ago, where she said she she had suffered for fifteen years. So we we we're on speaking terms, have been for quite a while now, and yeah. we get along fine. And and, uh, and how about the kids? The kids are all fine. Well, before we got our divorce, when we decided we we're going to do it, we took each of our children aside. They were adults at this point in time. Yeah. And the two of us sat down with a, a child and told them what we were going to do and the reasons why and so forth. And they could understand that. And uh, so then after those three conferences, it was shortly thereafter that we ended up uh, 
getting a divorce and uh, going our separate ways, as it were. So I want to get to the incident uh, with Matthew's drinking. We, uh, you know, with raising kids, as you probably know, with your one child, uh, you have, you set up certain standards. Uh, we tried to be very fair with our kids, and if they had complaints or whatever, we wanted to hear them. And if we could, if it was something we thought we could help with, fine. If we couldn't, that's another story. But uh, in terms of our basic rules, we thought were quite fair mm-hmm. and, and and very civil. Uh, not real strict, but things that we thought we needed to have within our family to just keep some sanity about <laughs> it. And uh, what a lot of parents did, I know, when I taught school, and they'd be asking me, uh, he's Johnny's really way over here, and I don't know what's going on with him, and blah, 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 what shall I do, and you name it. I said, I don't know what you can do, but I know what we've done. We set up some very fair rules, so are your rules of civility under the same roof fair? Are they reasonable or what? I said, you might want to reevaluate that because some parents are just stricter. I'll get out and some no, no, no discipline at all and so forth. At any rate, uh, and what you do as a parent, at least we did, is that we always kept those couple, only about three or four things, basically, but when it came to the discipline and so forth and civility under the same roof, uh, we had just a couple of things there. And it wasn't complicated, really simple. Anybody could follow it. And we, for a number of years, it was good for all three kids. And then uh, Matthew made up for the other two kids. He was our youngest, and uh, he got into... When he got into high school, uh, he got into drinking and all this kind of stuff. And I found out about it. I'll never forget when he came home that one night. And Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. And we were in a den, and he's going right upstairs. And I thought, that's something else. He's done that before. So this time I just got really edgy, and I thought, I'll go and find out what's going on. When I got up to his bedroom, he's flat on his back. He's, uh, he's drunker than hell. And I really got angry at that time. And I jumped on the bed and I straddled him. Now, he was 225 pounds, all muscle at that time. He could have beat the hell out of me at any rate. So I straddled him. And I just said, I'm not going to have a drunk in my house, Matthew. And I, was re- I was ready really to punch him. Mm-hmm. And I thought... I just withheld that. I said, tomorrow morning, you tell me what you want to do. You want to stay in this house, you're going to have to play by the house rules, and you're going to have to quit your drinking and carousing around, period. I'm not going to have a drunk under my roof. And that came really from my dad, who was a binger. Mm. And I never wanted to see that again under my roof. And uh, Mm. I had... uh, real deep feelings about that, big time. And uh, and I still think about that, and I think, 
Well, he's gone. He's been gone a long time, but uh, I remember him. He was he was, he was a, a binger, binge drinker, is what Dad was. Mm-hmm. Now that must have affected you. When, oh, yeah. <laughs> when you saw him drinking. Well, I never saw him drinking. He'd come home, home that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember once he was he came home and he was drunk. It's the only time I saw him do this and he uh he was really had a real anger coming out of him. And uh my brother Jack, who's two years older than me, I was probably eight or nine years old maybe, and Jack two years older, and uh dad started to Yak at mom, and I'd never heard that before. I'd never seen it before. And it looked like he was going to hit her or something. And so we were at the front door. Dad was inside the house, nighttime. And uh, mom's back was against that front door. And Jack and I got in front of her, and we told Dad, said, you leave our dad, our mommy alone. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're going to hit my hit our dad if he tried to attack her but he never did to my knowledge he never never uh hit her and uh, but i thought that we both thought that night he was going to do that with her what but was his reaction when you stood in front and uh he backed away guarded her yeah okay yeah that was uh that was quite an event was it the only time you saw that? That's or? the only time I ever remember Dad getting anywhere close to maybe going to hmm. maybe going to hit, hit our mom. How about being drunk? Did you see him drunk uh, more than once? Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, he he would binge maybe once every four to five weeks. Okay, something like that. Now, I didn't really realize so much of that until. Later in life, when I look back, yeah. I thought that's what he was. Yeah. So here we are back in the present, and you, <laughs> you find yourself a parent, a grandfather, and a great grandfather. What's the what's the difference between the influence <laughs> of a parent versus the influence of a grandparent? Do you have any pull with how they parent? I never interfered with my children. They're adults. They know what they want to do. They've been good, solid citizens. And uh, the only time I helped one of my kids when they were gone, adults, was my daughter, Paula. She started dating this one guy. She might have been a senior in high school or something. Anyway, whatever it was. And uh, he was really a, a real loser guy. He really was. And so Bobby, my wife, and I both uh, talked to Paul and says, you know, you got to quit going with this guy. He's not good for you. He's really a real, he was a real low-life type guy. Mm-hmm. And I guess Paula had a, a yen for him for some reason. I don't know. He was illiterate. <laughs> okay. And... Uh, he never held down a job, at least at that time in his life. And uh, 
it was just it just was an unhealthy thing for mm. her to be with but that was the first time only time we ever interfered with one, any of our kids in the men and or women that they dated and I'm glad we we did that. <clears throat> it was a risk. Yeah, sure. Big time. She could have just blown up and said, I'm, forget you, Dad. Mom, you're out of my life. Yeah. But it didn't happen. That's good. So there was a reward to that risk. Yes, there was. Yeah. yeah. What advice do you have for new fathers? I'd just say new parents. Okay. But it includes dads and moms. Yeah. Well, put it this way, we had some trials and tribulations, but particularly with Matthew when we were raising our family. And I think, uh, one, uh, you've heard the term tough love. Mm -hmm. That instance I have described to you about Matthew, that was definitely tough love. Almost real, (laughs) almost did it, but I didn't. I'm glad I didn't. But whatever you set up as what seemed to be fair, just rules of how we're going to live under the same roof, and that being fair and just and so forth, is really important. Because you've got to have some latitude for kids to express themselves and be themselves. And when it gets out of line... Uh, they've got to know that they're out of line. And so the family rules that you have set up have to be really very simple, very fair, uh, very livable. When you start to waver and start to agree with your child who's out of line, they have no place to go back home to. That line that you've got here wants to stay there. And then they can go here and then they waver back and forth across it. And there's a certain amount of tolerance you'll allow going over here or over here. And when they they seem to you to violate that, then you let them know. But most often you just keep that line right where it is. And they'll come back and home into it again. But if you move with them, then they have no place to come home to I really believe that very, very strongly. And uh, I think that's probably one of the most important things a parent can do with their their child, particularly when they get up certain ages. Mm -hmm. Because when they start entering puberty and that area, they're all over the wall. (laughs) Yeah, add in a little rebellion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, parenting is hard. Fathering is hard. Mm-hmm. Well, Peter Thomas Ferrero the, the third. <laughs> thank you for being a guest on our show. Yeah, and it's been nice to talk to you. Well, I really appreciate this opportunity, <laughs> and uh, I think I've made a a good friend out of all of this too. I, that I really am appreciative of. So, thank you. I think so too. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> Fathering is hard. And so is interviewing a man of such experience that 60% of it winds up on the cutting room floor. My feet are awash and the story is stripped away. I think what we heard is the story of a man who worked hard to change the class of his family and succeeded. 
He changed his trajectory and didn't exactly follow in his father's footsteps. He seems to have ended up quite comfortably in an eventful life. By eventful, I mean who takes a hard turn and becomes a successful gill netter in their late 30s. I want to thank Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com for the music, and once again thanks to Peter Ferrero III for being a guest. Thank you for listening, and if you have any questions or comments, please drop me a line at uh, RadioRanchero at gmail.com. So until next time, remember the days may be long, but the years are short.